You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Start playing with some jam in here. Let's go. This is the Orange and Back Check Podcast with Bill Kornfeld and Scott Weinhard. Episode 24 of the Orange and Back Check Hockey Podcast. We are still a hockey podcast. Um, I guess. I don't know what we are at this point. I don't know what anything is anymore. I am Bill Kornfeld, as the illustrious voice had said. And sitting across from me is a guy who has come out of the dark, I think. Scott Weinhardt. How are you, sir? Um, I don't think I've come out of anything. I'm still in my man cave. I'm still reminiscing about Flyers hockey and what we should be watching and uh, trying to survive through all this. Um, my hair has not been cut. Now, I, I'm I'm pretty anal about getting my hair cut. I always yep. have been. I get a haircut every three weeks. It's just something I do and something I've always done. I have not had my hair cut in, in over six weeks. I've never seen my hair this long. <laughs> I didn't realize how much gray hair I actually had. <laughs> are you? Uh, have you? Are you going to get to the point where you're going to get the wife to cut it? Uh, hell no! Hell no! No, uh, <laughs> no way! No way! Look, I, with all due respect, I love my wife to death, and she's going to hear this in the next room, and I'll be sleeping on the couch for saying this tonight. But there ain't no chance in hell she's touching this meme. So, uh, yeah, no, no chance, no chance. So I think I talked about this last week or two weeks ago when this quarantine went down, I got really lucky when everything started to shut down. I had gone to get my haircut like two days prior, but now it's getting to that point. Cause we're about a month in where I'm like, Oh, this is, this is getting mamesy. And like you said, I, I have a certain schedule that I like to stick to much like NHL coaches. And we'll talk about them going a little stir crazy because of, uh, their routines continuously being, uh, knocked around over this, uh, COVID-19 pause so it's like at what point do we go back to normal and is the first thing that we all do is get a haircut uh yeah I, I think that'll probably be definitely the first thing I do I to be honest with you I've had the same person been cutting my hair since 2011 and my friends make fun of me all the time because I actually drive into Philadelphia to get my hair cut every three weeks and they're like what is wrong with you? Find someone local. I'm like, you don't understand. The same person has been cutting my hair for 10 years. She's yep. awesome. And the the shop that she works at is awesome. So I, I go there and she's flexible with my schedule and always has been. So it just it just works. And you develop a, a rapport off that. It, it, that yep. and, and so that's the thing is that really like, you know, like I know, like, of course, I want to see my family. I want to see my mom and my, you know, my the rest of my family. And, uh, you know, I know my my wife is really looking to see her family as well. Everybody's so distant from that, but 
same time, I can't wait to get a goddamn haircut. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you, man. And similar to you, like, I, I think it's probably like a, what, 20, 30-minute drive for you into the city to get yeah, that haircut? 20 minutes. That's yeah. Same with me. Like, my guy is in about 20 minutes from my house, 25 minutes on a bad day when it's traffic. Thankfully, yeah. there's no one on the effing roads anymore. Right. But, like, that's I'm in the same routine. I drive out to my guy that I've gone to since I was, like, 17 or 18. Yeah. So it's like, why, why change it up? Exactly. The, ha- the, exactly. The, the hair is a very uh, uh, precious area that we yes. don't want to have messed up. You're absolutely right. Despite think about us it. being an audio, like all we're doing is a podcast slash radio. We, we're not really seen, but still – we we like that comfort of, of of having good hair of a good haircut. Well, not just to mention that too, having a good haircut and having your care haircut every couple of weeks, it looks like good grooming. It's professional when you're working in a professional environment. Not only that too, it feels good. And you know, I have very thick hair. Believe it or not, I've always had thick hair. And you know, chances are, knock on wood, I'm never gonna go bald. So thankfully for that. But the idea is that it gets, I, I can't do anything with it. It's literally like sticking out of my head sideways. Like <laughs> I, it doesn't sit flat. I can't do anything else with it. And you know, I, 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 I it, that's the one thing that drives me nuts. My wife's like, it doesn't look that bad. I'm like, yeah, to you because you, 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 right. you understand. It. You know, she hasn't gotten a haircut in a long time. Her yep. hair is very long. But well, the point is, is that I've never had my hair this long in my entire life. Yeah, I, 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 I can't imagine it. So, you know, it is what it is, though. But, but what I'd we rather wish, wait for it and stay healthy. What we wish we could be growing are playoff beards. Like yeah. that would be something I would be fine with trying to attempt. I mean, I can't really grow a beard. I've tried it several times and it just gets, it gets all patchy. Like I feel like if I actually let the patches go. It would become full and good, but I, I just can't do it. But well, we get a Sidney Crosby beard. Sidney yeah, Crosby's got no, one of the, he's thirty years old. Be. He's got that patchy beard yeah. all over. But some guys can't grow beards. I grew a beard once. I hated it. It was awful, itchy, terrible. Some dudes do beards. I I could never grow a beard. I couldn't. I used to when I graduated college and I was in college. I had a little uh, little hair on my chin as I that looked like a complete douchebag. Didn't realize it at the time, <laughs> but that's really the extent of what I ever grew. And then. Actually, when I was younger in high school, <laughs> a quick story, I uh, actually grew a mustache. When I was able to grow a mustache, I, I just grew it out. And I didn't realize that it made me look like a weirdo until I was like about 18 and a half, 19. And I remember like having my old ID when I first got my driver's license and I showed it to one of my bosses before. <laughs> he went oh, back no. when I first started my career. He goes, Jesus, dude, I wouldn't let you within a mile of my daughter. See that? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that, that's what I realized. Okay, well, the mustache was never a good idea. But yeah, uh, facial hair is not a not a thing that I'd be able to do. But so we wish we were dr- growing playoff beards at this point because we'd probably be in the second round at this point. Yeah. Uh, hopefully the Flyers would be taking on probably the winner of Pittsburgh or Washington against that second wild card team depending on how things fell. But, like, there's an interesting thing that you sent me in the New York Post uh, about what the NHL is trying to do in terms of what happens when this all stops, what happens when this is all over, and they're able to go into two or three cities maybe. I think that's the discussion here of the least impacted cities across, I'm assuming, Canada and the United States pertaining to the COVID-19 virus. But the interesting part about this isn't the city choices, 
it's the amount of teams that are going to potentially be in the playoffs. Correct. 24 teams are in the thought process of where this goes. And I think that is to solve uh, the tiebreak, not tiebreakers, but the, the neck and neck close, the uh, neck and neck competition between outskirting teams and in, and just in, in within the realms of the playoffs. So it's like, how do you compete for those? And this is an interesting solution, Scott. So what are your initial thoughts on a 24 team playoff uh, for the NHL this possibly this season in July? Well, I think it's actually not a bad move because it gives the teams that still have a shot, a shot. Um, and here's why, because, and it says it in here, and this is the absolute truth. If they were talking about finishing the season, the teams like the Red Wings, Senators, Kings, Devils, Ducks, they're all pretty much out. So, uh, they were, they're not going to come back, do a kind of training camp or any kind of thing just to call everybody back for 13 games that nobody's going to attend anyway because they don't mean a damn thing. The bigger issue with this is something that I alluded to a couple episodes ago and, and probably last week as well in the midst of my rambling. Um, the, the Really, the issue comes out about this is with, with the CBA type deal. There's still a lot of revenue that's going to need to be made and revenue that's going to be missing. I think a 2014 would kind of offset some of the escrow issues they're going to be seeing over the next couple of years in regards to this, maybe offset some of the salary cap issues. From a standpoint of having 24 teams in there, it's fantastic because you get a lot more competition, which is great, and it gives teams an opportunity to climb into this thing and 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 have a lot more cities putting that revenue into there to kind of offset what they didn't make before. I think that's the big plus of it. Um, the drawback is, is the logistics of it. I mean, what, what are you going to do here as far as playoffs and how you can't tell me that a team that really is like eight points out of a playoff spot that's in this thing, they're going to be able to all of a sudden make a run for the Stanley cup above other teams that were already in it. There'd be a lot of logistics like that, that I'd be curious to see. But I think the positive thing out of it is that from the business standpoint, from the dollar standpoint, so the league can continue and kind of make sure the cap doesn't take a dive off a cliff or anything along those lines. Uh, this a twenty four team would be good because it would re- replace some of that revenue that wasn't going to be there before because that's eight more teams that are potentially in the playoffs that are could have a chance for a Stanley Cup It'd be out of this world. And I think a lot of people would pay good money to see that, even if it's just on TV somehow. Yeah, I think. Well, I think that's the number one. That that's a. If, if anything is a set in stone thing, when these sports come back from the NHL, baseball, and f- football in September, uh, there's not going to be fans when this thing starts. Where whoever starts back up again, I don't. There's not going to be fans. So I, I think this is all going to be focused on television. Television revenue is going to be their top thing. It's they're going to try and make up gate revenue through something with television, whether that's. Um, like I'm just think like I just thought of this like you you get fans to pay x amount of dollars and you're like hey you get a personal message on the television in between commercials something like that but uh what would be nice is th- this notion of 24 teams getting in I agree with like I think especially that since they announced I think it was yesterday or the day before they they're keeping the salary cap at 81 and a half million that's not changing for the 2020 2021 season so these teams that have extra chances of getting in there, getting producing some money of any sort, get gate re- or not gate revenue, merchandise revenue, uh, just ticket sales. I keep thinking that we're gonna t- ticket sales is an actual thing, and it's not going to be. The uh, v- 
TV revenue is where it's going to come down to. So it's like the more teams, the better. And I don't know if you structure it so the out, the farther outskirt teams are have a less chance of moving because no matter what happens, say those teams that are on the outskirts get into the Eastern Conference semifinals, Western uh, Western finals, whatever it may be. You're at the point where no matter what happens, this is going to have an asterisk over it. It's similar to Barry yeah, Bonds's yeah. home run record on a lesser <laughs> yep. scale. Yep. It's going to have an asterisk next to it no matter what you do. So, I mean, at this point, just bring in all 31 NHL teams and go from there. See what happens. You're not going to – the Red Wings, the bad – the Ottawa Senators, they're not yeah. going to win the Cup, I can tell you that, because they're so depleted. They're such depleted teams – it doesn't matter to them. Why not try and get them to get a little bit of extra coin in their pockets at the end of well, the day? Well, and that's where I disagree with you. I don't think that's a good idea because those teams are technically out of it already. Those guys are not going to come back for, and I hate to say, with all due respect to those teams, if the Devils all of a sudden just got somewhere where they got on a run and they were dead last and shouldn't be in the in the what's it called in the playoffs anyway, and all of a sudden they're uh, around away from the Stanley Cup or and they're either playing for the Stanley Cup, I would have an issue with that because yeah, of course, I, I I don't think that I think you cut bait with the teams that absolutely have no chance. I would take this as that teams that are oh okay are, all right or, or a bunch of teams out. I mean. 24 gives eight extra teams an opportunity. So you're talking like a team like Montreal getting in the playoffs where if they get hot, that's a team that get dangerous, but I think they were six or eight pound points out to begin with this. So, so um, how about this? Instead of doing the NHL playoffs, like for these teams, these bottom tier teams that would be that are self-labeled lottery teams. Let's go like, we're let's just go full blown crazy here. We're like, I'm blowing up the show prep here. I'm going to bring oh this to, to, to your attention. Okay. Take those. I think it's other 15 teams or 14 teams, whatever it is, 18 teams. No, it's more. It's like 18 or 20 teams that are going to be lottery teams and do a side playoff with just those. And the winner is the top pick in the 2020 NHL draft. I think that would it it adds an incentive to the players to come back to training camp. I think then you get them to actually want to play to show that you are a better team than what you're showing. And the top pick in the NHL draft will make you even better come 2020 and 2021. And it's not just like a tanking situation like the the devil or excuse me. The Red Wings are clearly doing. They're 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 still under. I think their goal differential is still in the triple digits at the time of the pause. So it's like, what can we do to incentivize these teams to put their best skate forward? Let's bring in a second playoff. Let's go full blown freaking crazy okay. here, Scott. So what about? So here's the only thing I think that's a great a great idea. Okay, let's put it this way: if any team's tanking, it'd be the Senators. The Senators are just right. they yeah. blew okay. everything up. Detroit just doesn't have the talent. Yeah, they're um, just not good. So that's that's my point exactly. So say that Detroit is a team that really needs that first overall pick or every opportunity to get that first overall pick because they are so depleted and don't have the talent to be able to do it. They need that. In a major market like Detroit, they need a, need a special player. So you're going to tell me because if the Devils get on a run all of a sudden, who they just had the first overall pick in Jack Hughes, they got Nikita Gusev, uh, who is a very, very highly touted player, uh, from the KHL, 
You're going to tell me all of a sudden, like, oh, this is going to be the new Oilers situation where they're going to get another first-round pick here, a first-overall pick here, because they went on this little thing here with a pretty talented roster, actually, and they just didn't meet expectations. And all of a sudden, now they're going to get the first-overall pick over a team like Detroit who really could use the help? Yeah. That would be the only drawback I would have with them. I think you may have to look at it where, you know, maybe you have some sort of tournament with these guys for uh, the – league the person the team you drop the lottery this year and you do it this way the, the team is automatically going to the the worst team with the worst record is automatically going to get the um, top pick yeah so that would be detroit so you don't have to worry about everybody tanking but the mm-hmm. other one is okay because the other teams are really sort of kind of competitive enough you're going to play against each other in some sort of series either a, a three game series and then you you can get the second round whoever's got the best record at the end of this will have the um second overall pick and third and so on it's things along those lines yeah maybe you look at it that way but i i like the idea you got going on there because you're right it would add more revenue with that it really would but 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 if you take those 14 teams there's still teams that are one or two points out of a playoff spot. Right, and that's so where you, the 2014 Well, that's where the 2014 bracket comes in. You take those 24 teams that the NHL is doing and you expand like uh, what's the double elimination is what you kind of do, but it, instead of a double elimination to get back into the normal NHL playoffs where the Penguins, the Flyers, the Capitals, uh all of those highly touted teams, the Oilers this year, that are actually competing for the Stanley Cup and will win the Stanley Cup, one of those teams, you just you slide these in the early rounds of that 2014 bracket, you slide them into the quote-unquote lottery bracket, where it's the it not as talent, obviously the not as talented teams, you slide them into the whatever round you want to choose, pick a one out of a hat, second, third round, and then as the teams get farther and farther in, that's when they start playing. And you keep them fresh. You're able to – and that it's just a way to, as you were talking about, like as soon as this league comes back, if because I don't think – I agree with the New York Post. I think we were both on the same page. If the NHL comes back, and like I've said, I don't think it is coming back. Still, I'm very pessimistic about this whole thing. But I enjoy this idea of a 2014 bracket. It incentivizes these teams that are outside the the playoffs to want to do the training camp in late July, early August, whatever that falls into, instead of as if these bottom tier teams, okay, there's no incentive to come back at all. So let's just roll into the playoffs and that's fine, but do this secondary playoff because you want to incentivize everyone on the level because everyone's going stir crazy, whether it's uh, like tonight is the Michael Jordan thing. We're all starved for, uh, some sort of sports, so we're getting his 10-part 30 for 30 early this month. And it's just like, let's do something when we're, with the possibility when hockey comes back. Okay, fair enough. I, I I hear you on that one. I think that's actually not a bad thing to do. We should write a letter to the league and pitch I was going to say, we need to <laughs> – like, We need to pitch this to the league and be like, up your marketing now. Now, I mean, like, meaning like you have ample opportunity to make this the most creative thing ever – really grab people's attention with this because 
if there's any way hockey could get on the map further and show more of its popularity and become like be able to become gain more popularity, it's yeah. now because it's 100. People are going to be so starved for sports to watch anything. They yep. will watch it. if there is live cricket on right now. <laughs> someone's going to be screaming Sixer. So yeah. that's exactly what's going to wind up happening. Someone's going to be like, I know what a, I don't know what a Sixer is. I think it's like their equivalent of a home run, but. The, the people would get into that sort of thing. Um, if it's if it's horseshoe flipping or you know whatever kind of sport people want to play, people are so starved for it right now. They'll do anything for it. So the NHL has an opportunity here to get really creative with this, and also again with the Olympics being postponed, they could run late in the next season as well, and then kind of reset from there. So yeah, and it, there's it, a lot going on with this. I believe it was Kevin Hayes's uh, of fly, the Flyers' own Kevin Hayes of saying we the plan is July, middle of July, yeah. late July uh, to get this thing really going. And like, without getting too like this reopening plan that the the it, our government has implemented or tried to attempt, at least it's something it's like, as long as we're trying something and I don't mean to be like these crazy people that are out there protesting because they can't get a haircut. Like we were talking about, they're out there protesting because these businesses are closed and they can't do it. But it's like, we need to do things intelligently and, and mathematically calculated and not just on the whim of our, just on a whim of reopening stuff. So it's like, if we can calculate the safety of July, I think that is a better possibility than anything at this point. Like if it doesn't happen in July, it's not going to happen. I don't know. I I, I agree. I don't think it would be anything later than that. Kevin Hayes. You're right. He was on with, uh, uh, if anybody follows Barstool, El Presidente, he he's doing unboxing and, um, He's doing these unboxings every single night. Someone got his address, and he left his address accidentally on a video, and people sent him crap every single night. Um, but Kevin Hayes was on with him last week, said July 15th. Then the next day, Drew Dowdy comes out and says, Drew Dowdy, and says, well, I don't think we're coming back at all. Well, I mean, Drew Dowdy, your team's dead last, so obviously you know, <laughs> you're, 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 there's no reason for you to want to come back. Um, but the league is talking about this. They're talking about things they can do in the middle of the summer and, and late towards the summer. And I think that's when you see the earliest to see it. Um, you know, again, as I mentioned last week, I just have a concern why there's ad revenue there. There's got to be something on the business side to offset this because there's going to be upwards of up to $1 billion in lost revenue for the league. I don't want to have a situation where next thing you know, the networks are paying all this money for broadcasting rights and then people still have to do pay-per-view. I would have a concern about that because it's basically, oh, well, we can't get people in the stands. we got to replace that revenue. I really hope that people see the bigger picture with this and just finding something for people to get into rather than worrying about the bottom line of this. Sports will eventually, once people are allowed back in the arenas, they're going to go back and they're going to be crowded again. So I just don't want it to turn to a pay-per-view situation because that's just going to – it's gonna it's gonna turn a lot of people off to sports. It's like, oh wow, like there's gonna be commercials, but I gotta pay for money for it anyway. Even five ten bucks, it ain't worth it. No, it's not, and that's gonna be the like if that's like a, a friend of mine is it was like is the NHL gonna be able to survive this lockdown because they're missing thir- thirteen games, whatever it is in the or eleven games in the Flyers case, whatever. Yeah, thirteen games. I have it right, mm-hmm. and it's like no, they'll survive, but the problem is the 
after effect. Like every league is going to be be able to survive X amount of losses. Like these mm-hmm. these leagues are built to sustain some sort of loss at. Yes, this is an ex- extreme circumstance, but at any circumstance, they're able to say we've lost this number of dollars this year. We're okay as long as we can make that money back Correct. for the for the following season. So it's like if the NHL comes back and they lose, as you said, a billion dollars, that sounds substantial, but it's not death threatening of the league. And it's like, what do you do? to make this fair and simple and i think we thought i really think we saved hockey with this two playoff system if you create a two playoffs you open up your revenue gates on all 30 teams it's not just the 24 teams that are going to be in the quote-unquote playoffs but then at the end of the day how many games are these all these 24 team teams going to really be playing at the end of the day you're still going to get down to two teams in a seven-game series for the Stanley Cup final, and it's like, is it really worth it, or is it going to be – and not is it really worth it, but is it really going to add up to what you want? And it's not going to be no matter what you do, but if you make these 30 teams eligible, then everyone is playing for something, and you have some sort of monetary value in all 30 games – or 30 teams and not just 24. 100% agree with you. Well said. So – Besides this hockey stuff, what are we watching? Like, are, are, are you – you're telling me about – we actually are going to be debuting our new feature for everyone about the flashback flyers. We're going to go back as far back as 97. We're going to start with the 97 Cup Final against Detroit. Uh, we both watched at least game one. I think you dove into all four games. Oh, yeah, I watched them all. For whatever <laughs> godforsaken reason. <laughs> and I watched not just highlights. I watched – all of the full games. By the way, I, for some reason, I don't ever remember the NHL being on Fox. I thought the the puck tracker was going to be on, was ESPN's idea. No, I don't remember was, it on Fox. Oh, that was that was the big thing. It debuted at the 1996 All Star Game, and yeah, uh, that was one of the coolest things. And by the way, when I was when I was, I was ten years old at that time, and it was the coolest thing ever. By yeah, by the way, not that bad. Everyone hated it that around that time. It wasn't that bad. Yeah, like, because t- at that time it was so out there yeah. that it wasn't considered normal. It was to the purists, the hockey purists. Not only that, too, the technology wasn't there. The puck actually had a sensor inside of it, mm-hmm. and they had to make specialized pucks for it. So they would operate a little bit differently well people don't probably don't realize when a puck is on the ice they're actually frozen because what it does is that it doesn't allow the puck to jump as much yep. those couldn't get as frozen so they'd hop more the batteries since the technology this is 1995 so 1995 96 up to like 97 i believe those that technology wasn't really there it wasn't as sophisticated as it was now so the tracking technology, the batteries would last a couple of minutes. Like, really, they had to replace the pucks all the time. They were really expensive to make. So for the time, it was really revolutionary. It was great to watch it, but it was annoyance to the um, to the purist fan because they had the blue streak or the red streak behind it, yep. and uh, it would made it a little too arcadish. Fox was really good about going there. Believe it or not, you may not know this, but Fox was the first network to have the scoreboard and the running clock in the top left-hand oh, corner yeah, of the screen. Yeah. They were the first ones back when they got the NFL to keep it up there all game long. So they were really revolutionary with that. 
it just it didn't take off. It didn't help hockey become more popular as they thought. But hockey was a different sport at the time. If you go back and watch a game from 1997, there's a lot more clutching, a lot more grabbing. A lot of things that would be called penalties today weren't called back then. It had yeah. to be really, really egregious. So, um, But anyway... I digress. So, yeah, that the NHL was on Fox for a few years, and it was it was pretty good coverage. Um, and Doc Emmerich was still doing – it was in his early – I guess his early days of national broadcasting. Obviously, he had his stint doing Flyers broadcasting for a little bit before he went on to the national stage. And it's like – also did the Devils locally for a long yes. time as well. And it's just like, wow, this guy, he really truly is. I know everyone uh, – looks at him with a little bit of grayish area or black and white as, as some would call it. But it's like, this guy is the voice of besides Gary Thorne. He's the voice of hockey for the, yeah. for the foreseeable future and for the rest of time, it seems. Agreed. And I, you know, there, the thing is there's a couple guys who have, there's not, there's not a lot of guys who have the ability that doc does. It's not doc's voice. that set him apart. It's not his special calls. It's the way he tells the story, yep. you know, with broadcasting and any kind of play by play, you're basically telling a story. You're, you know, you don't want to over talk, but doc follows the play and he never, he doesn't get monotonous. Like, Oh, he kicks the puck into the corner. He'll say he soccer's the puck into the corner. Like that's just a really different way of saying it to where like, it kind of makes you think, oh wow, like he's he's really getting into it, but he's also really, really bright at the same time. I I love Doc. I do. I will say this. My all-time favorite is Gary Thorne, be strictly because of the emotion. Yeah. I don't have a drawback on Doc's emotion. I think he gets into it. He didn't have the pull like Gary Thorne did for me because Gary Thorne had that voice where when you'd scored, it was just so dramatic when something things happened. He mispronounced players' names like nobody else, Gary Thorne, and he would call players by the wrong names. <laughs> it didn't matter to me, Finn, because the impure emotion and the way that after a great call, like go back to the 2003 Stanley Cup final. I think it was game – I think it was game six. It was Paul Correa coming across center, and he got nailed by Scott Stevens, very similar to like Eric Lindros did in yep. 2000. And next thing you know, Korea comes back a little later in the game and he's coming down the ice and Gary Thorne, I'll never forget this because I got every time I hear it, I got chills. And even John Davidson says afterwards, he goes, I just got chills like on the broadcast. He comes up and he's all skating along the left wing and he Gary Thorne goes, here's Korea. Fans won't want and he just winds up and bless it. And he, I've never heard Thorne yell score that loud in my entire life. And then all of a sudden, off the top of heads, he just goes off the floor, on the board, Paul Correa. And, I, dude, the, the, the chills I got after that. The things he had come off the top of his head were just so much, I should say, spontaneous. Yep. Doc, great storyteller. Doc can tell you background on everybody. Um, Doc isn't going to be the guy who gives you that legendary one-liner after the score call. He lets the He lets the – the, the scene do the talking, which is great. It's, which is, I think, great. is just a strategy of what today's comment. You see it with Joe Correct. Buck now. Correct. Like they'll just they'll let the crowd noise, the ambiance of what's happening in the stadium happen. But thankfully, maybe, you know what? Maybe because we have no fans in the stadiums coming up, maybe this is Doc's time to figure out his legendary one-liner at the end of every goal. Yeah, 
exactly and and see that's the thing is that 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 that's that was the pull for me with that but you know going back like i i digress going back into like 1997 i dug into the full 1997 series it took me like six and a half hours to watch this over a course of a couple days uh really too um (laughs) because it's what else to do um but I really dug into it, and the reason why we'll do a kind of Flyers flashback, if some people might remember right at the beginning of the season we were doing more coaching recaps to kind of show you exactly why things were happening. We're going to bring that back, and we're going to kind of show to you. A lot of things went – there's a lot of misconception about what happened back in the day. People say, oh, because Hextall sucked and Garth Snow sucked and you know the team should have won, but they don't have a goalie. Everything that I pointed out in that series that I've seen that we'll, we're going to talk about, that we're going to show explain to you, it's more because the Flyers' defense just fell on its face and they couldn't score goals. Mike yeah. Vernon stood in his head in that series, and that's the reason why I wanted to con Smite this year. It wasn't Hexogluck. He gave up a bad goal in game one where he got a, 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 a 60-footer from the blue line. You can't let that happen. Gar Snow gave up a bad goal in game two. Can't let that happen. But other than that, they kept the team in the game. The rest of them were defensive miscues. Game three, I can't believe they went up one nothing anyway, because after that Detroit just dominated and Hexall gave up one bad goal where it got banked off him. But yet again, his defense let him hang out to dry. And then game four, Darren McCarty's goal is obviously legendary, where he just danced around Nyani Nieman. Nobody knew he had that in his pocket, and you can't blame goaltending for that. But when you score a total of six goals. In four games, you're not going to yeah. win many hockey games off that. So the Flyers' offense went silent at the wrong time. But we're going to break that all down for you rather than actually kind of get into it. But what did you take out of it anyway? What did you think when you watched I, it? I, like, obviously, I was one of those. This is really – I don't remember much of it. I just know they got – remember they got swept, obviously, 4-0. And it was – one, I don't remember it starting in Philadelphia. For some reason, I – like, the ambiance that surrounded that Detroit team. Obviously, it was the – I think it was the four Russians or the three Russians, whatever it was like they were the Russian juggernaut of those, that, that era of that decade. And it's just like, that's who I remember it surrounding. And as soon as I turned on game one, Bobby Orr is being interviewed during one of the intermissions and is like, Oh no, Philly's going to win this. They're the favorites in my eyes. And I'm like, what is happening? Like, I don't remember, like, obviously they had Eric Lindros, John, it's the Legion of Doom. It's the heyday of Legion of Doom, obviously. And you're just like, I remember this team being unstoppable and dominant, but at the end of the day, everyone looked at Detroit and said, this is going to be the team. And it's completely the other way. Everyone favored the Flyers in this. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what the hell? And how did this happen? And to your point, their offense went completely dark. And it's like, it's crazy what it's the ultimate between I think you talked about this on Twitter between this 97 team and when we get to this the 2004 team uh it's going to be an interesting debate on who really was should have won that year I think you already alluded to it with 2004 but I, I gotta go back and watch 2004 because this team to see how favored they were and how many people thought they were going to win this thing and to get swept really wasn't part of the plan. It was just the, more of a uh, exception to what everyone was expecting. Two words that shut down the 1995 to 1997 Philadelphia Flyers. I say that specifically, the 94, mm-hmm. 95 team, 95, 96, 96, 97. Okay. Two words, the trap. So if you hear the words left wing lock, 
The trap is what killed the Flyers. We'll have to break that down. We'll have to probably do a chalk talk on the left-wing lock, the trap of why it slowed teams down. Flyers were very vulnerable to that. A lot of teams were, but yet again, you know, that's what Detroit did in that series. They got timely goaltending and really limited the offense, the Flyers, but we're going to break all that down. We're the whole idea behind these flash flashbacks is like when you look on TV now and they were playing games, they were playing like, Oh my God, they won like the 2012 player series, which I actually watched today, by the way. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's still amazing uh, against the penguins. Yep. So uh, they'll play that game. They'll play the 2010 game seven against Boston. They'll play all those fun games. There's, it, it, you know, from my coaching experience, there's a lot more to learn from losing than there is from winning. Yep, And it's the absolute truth because, you know, you can look back and say, okay, how close was a series actually were? Like it was like now the Flyers got swept in 97. They really only were in one game. And actually they had the lead at one point in that game. And then they weren't in it the rest of the way. They were in every single other game. And it was very close. 4-2-4-2-6-1-2-1. It was just, they they were in it. The 0-4 team will break that down because you really have to look at what happened in that series of Toronto, why they weren't really ready for Tampa. They they got too beat up in that series against Toronto. It was too physical of a series from the overcome against a speed team like Tampa. We're going to go back and look at the series. The Flyers came close to winning in the most painful one, probably. Well, Oh four for me was the most pain. That's the most painful to be honest with you. Cause that team had most talent of any team I'd ever seen yeah. 2010. Of course, when they lost the cup, we'll break that down and see why they lost in that series as well. And then we'll take a look back at uh, some other series as well. Um, I think that maybe another one, maybe we're looking at is the 2012 divisional round against the, uh, or, I'm sorry, the, the semifinals um, against the devils. That might be another one because really, that's the last time that they had to run around in advance, so we might take a look at that one as well. 16 against the Capitals, not there weren't there was no competition. 18 against the Penguins, it wasn't even close. So yeah. uh, you just kind of knew. Yeah, and so I think it might be taking a look. We can look, take a look back and say, okay, why did these teams get so close but yet not succeed? Well, but speaking of not succeeding, we're also doing our incredible bracket of curb verse. Seinfeld uh, talking we're pivoting away from hockey for a bit and it's just like uh we talked about in pre pre-show about how we pretty much had the sweet 16 locked we did our two polls on the carpool in the contest and crazy eyes versus the puffy shirt mm -hmm. and we both saw that crazy eyes had won the final poll of th that going against the puffy shirt I didn't vote on it to be honest with you on the on the crazy eyes one, but after after you know it put really put it over the edge for me. I, I really debated it. Was just seeing the meme on Facebook, man. When I saw the meme <laughs> of the look, I'm like, you know what? That is such a it's such a better episode. It really it's, is. It's a it, it's a it's certainly a better episode than I remember uh, uh, the carpool contest or the carpool lane. Excuse me. Mm. We talked about how the contest was probably going to win carpool lane. Well, Scott, I just looked at the poll on Facebook. In a stunning turn of events, Carpool Lane is now leading 56% to 44% oh, over the contest. My God, you're So the listeners right. have spoken, and Carpool Lane and Crazy Eyes are advancing through the Sweet 16. So we have to decide where we go from here oh. and trim this down to eight episodes. Are you ready, sir? 
Okay. Yep. I'm ready. Absolutely. I can't All believe right. what that loss that came out. It's, oh, wow. What How a stunning that? upset. Yes. You're not kidding. So let's save that uh, that matchup for last. Let's start on the right side of the bracket. The Face Painter versus the Merv Griffin Show. I think this is a pretty easy one. What are your thoughts? Face Painter all the way. Yeah, I think, I think the Face Painter is a little bit biased in our view just because we're hockey fans. And that's, I mean, that's one of the most hockey-centric or the only hockey-centric episode uh-huh. of Seinfeld in the ser- season or in the series history. So why not? Yep. I, I'm totally in agreement with you there. This one is a little bit closer in my eyes. Weatherman of Curb versus the Invitations of Seinfeld. Weatherman was the one, if you people don't remember, is when Larry is trying to figure out days to golf, and the weatherman at the private club says, oh, no, it's going to be sunny and great, so you should you could play tomorrow. And instead, it thunderstorms and it ruins his day. And he, Larry, David gets gets furious at the weatherman, and it ends with, "No, seriously, there's going to be uh, thunderstorms tomorrow. Don't play golf." And he does anyway, and he just doesn't care. I think he does it with Funkhauser, uh, Marty Funkhauser, and it's one of the funnier episodes. However, the invitations is obviously a classic episode of Seinfeld because obviously Costanza's. Fiance is dead over licking envelopes. I still <laughs> have my idea of where this goes. I'm a little biased, but where are you going to go? Before I, I I'm mine? a little biased as well. I'd have to say invitations because the concept of it, who dies from licking envelopes. And the fact that George was happy about her dying was even more hilarious for the time. Now the weatherman is great because we all have our complaints about the weatherman. I don't know if this goes to a toss up or another poll. But I, I had to lean towards invitations on this one. So I, I have bias because it is a golf episode. But golf is kind of like a central theme of Curb. Larry mm-hmm. plays a lot of golf in Curb. Uh, but the uniqueness of invitations puts it over the edge in my, for me. So okay. I, you, like the, the insanity of a woman dying or anybody dying <laughs> over licking envelopes, especially because he cheaped out and got the cheap envelopes. He got she the cheap glue. He was happy about it. And it's like, not only that, I'm also not licking any more envelopes in my life, not because of this episode, but because of COVID-19. So let's give it to invitations, invitations over the weatherman. So that final eight will be the face painter versus invitations. So I think we're going to have to run a poll on that one. Okay. All right. Next one, Larry David versus Michael J. Fox versus Festivus. I think this is pretty simple. It's going to be Festivus. Uh, yes, definitely Festivus. Absolutely. One of the most classic episodes and people still celebrate Festivus to this day. Uh, the next matchup. Yes. I got a lot of problems with you people. And now you're going to hear about it. (laughs) Next one is an all Seinfeld matchup. The Hamptons versus Junior Mint. (sighs) Both have classic moments of the Seinfeld era. Obviously Kramer dropping the Junior Mint. Mm-hmm. during the surgery and shrinkage during the Hamptons. I lean towards Hamptons because of the the absurdity of shrinkage and that whole ordeal. It's a true thing, ladies. Where where are you going? 
If you're in the pool, absolutely. Uh, I would say the Hamptons. I believe I, I know I just recently watched it too. It's the one where the, the ugly baby as well. So uh, yes, the hideous baby. So yes, to me that puts it over the edge of the way they they react to that child. So I'll I'll, I'll go with the Hamptons there. So festive Festivus versus the Hamptons. Uh, Costanza doll. The next one against oh. opening night. I think I have an idea of where I'm going to go with this. Uh, what do you say? I mean, the Costanza doll. I, I, I don't think I laughed any harder in a few scenes with that whole thing, especially at the end where he, uh, Mr. Costanza, basically beats up the doll. So, um, I'll, uh, I, I got to lean to that. But I know you're probably thinking opening night because it does have uh, the um, uh, Mel Brooks. Mel, Mel Brooks in it. Yep. So, yes, that's where I was leaning. However, Mel Brooks was an appearance. Mel Brooks' addition to Curb made it that much more funnier. I don't think this was one of Larry's better episodes. I think it was pushed up to one of the better episodes of Curb history because of Mel Brooks being there. And it's a classic thing with the producers. So, again, it comes down to on the face alone of quality of episode of the regular routine cast compared to the guest appearance, making it a better episode. That's why I lean Costanza doll. Wow. Wow. Because of Jerry Stiller. So yeah. Okay. All right. I'll take Jerry Stiller is like, like I said in last week's episode, Seinfeld became so much better. Every episode of Seinfeld that's the best is when Jerry Stiller is in that episode. Yes. Because he is so correct. absurd. Yes. He's the most ridiculous character ever. The other <laughs> and you one. You understand I George, you understand George Costanza better when you see Mr. Costanza. Oh, excuse me. So we have three matchups left. The next one is Grand Opening of Curb, which is the restaurant opening with the Tourette Chef versus the doll of Curb Your Enthusiasm. There is no question in my no mind. Question. It's the doll. There is the doll. absolutely zero question at all. Next one is Crazy Eyes against Palestine Chicken. This is one of the worst. I can't believe this is a matchup in the second round, but. Uh-huh. Um, Crazy Eyes won in a poll. I think. I'm going to think for. I'm going to go with Palestine Chicken because, yes, the like any time that you can make comedy out of a real life freaking conflict okay, is very funny to me. So I'm going <laughs> Palestine Chicken on that. Okay. All right. No problem. Final, and... final matchup to narrow this down to eight is a Curb versus Seinfeld matchup. Car- Carpool Lane versus Frogger. If I'm putting Carpool Lane versus Frogger, well, Frogger is one of the most legendary episodes ever. I do have to lean towards Carpool Lane on this one. Whoa! I had started typing Frogger because I thought we were both going to uh, – I was going to concede to whatever you said. Wow. Uh, Be- Carpool- Here's the reason why. The contest against Carpool Lane, the contest is absolutely legendary in his own right. Carpooling is completely absurd because especially for a couple reasons. One, he picks up a hooker to take to <laughs> a baseball game 
because he wants to drive in the carpool lane and because he's running late because of other obligations. He gets, gets there and then he sees his buddy who denied him doing the tickets where his father had passed away. There's an empty seat. He tries to sit in the seat. The guy it's won't let him. For. Yeah, yeah, it's spoken for. Exactly. And then at the end, the guy says, the guy has a dead battery. The guy's like, Larry, can you take me to the airport? And Larry goes, why don't you ask your father? And then the guy, because he had bought weed for his dad and put it in his pocket, he gets arrested at the airport. So, I mean, look. Against the contest, the contest is one thing. Against Frogger, without question, it's the carpool lane because of the absurdity yes. of what happens there. So here's our final eight. We have the carpool lane, Costanza doll, the doll, Palestine chicken, painter, the face painter, the invitations, Festivus, and Hamptons. So I think we're pretty even, Festivus. Uh, this wow. Is, this is going to get pretty tight down near the end here. It yes. really is because, I mean, we picked some of the best episodes ever from both shows, and there's one there like the contest didn't make it out of the right. That's like a Duke situation getting eliminated by Lehigh, and like the, the face painter. What a, probably people don't understand too much. That's one of the most ridiculous episodes in its own right, especially because of David Putty and yep. just the way he is. Got to support the team, you know. It's uh. <laughs> Well, you, you painted your face. Yeah, got to support the team. <laughs> so before we close out, besides uh, watching all this Curb, all this Seinfeld, all this 1997 hockey and earlier, what else are we watching? Like I'm starved for sports content. If you're looking for some decent uh, behind the scenes, similar to the all or nothing with the Philadelphia Eagles, there's some great content uh, surrounding um, some lesser known things in the United States. You have Manchester City, All or Nothing, which is really cool because you get to see the inside look on a top-notch Premier League soccer team uh, and how they operate. And the other side of that is a show on Netflix called Sunderland or Die, which is Sunderland Till I Die, excuse me, which is surrounding the Sunderland Soccer Club, who are a terrible soccer club, and their battle in terms of being a competitive organization in the British tier system on how they structure their leagues. It's fascinating. Netflix and Amazon. Amazon uh, is all or nothing Man City. Netflix is T Sunderland Till I Die. Fantastic shows. I highly recommend them. And at some point, I'll get into Westworld. I haven't dove into season three yet, but I've heard good things. What are you watching, Scott? Well, I, I about a month, I would say right Right when it all started, I had binge watched season one of Westwood. I really enjoyed it. And yep. the weirdest thing was I started watching season two and I just I after going through all that mind games in season one, I just I couldn't get into season two right away. I had like And I, season I two had like, season two had worse mind games. Like there was like three or four timelines that watched. We, yeah, three or four timelines that we were working with, and it all converged in the ninth or 10th episode. So you had to wait an entire season. I've heard good things about season three because they, there is the multiple timeline thing, but it converged, I think last week or three weeks ago or two weeks ago. So it, it worked out. Yeah. I think um, it's, uh, 
it's something I'm going to get into sooner rather than later. Yeah. I, just, I needed a break. I honestly needed a break because it just you have you have to stay focused in it because if you don't, you you're completely lost. Oh, and you'll be mom, able to focus. You, it's not like you have two toddlers running around on the daily basis no, to keep no, you distracted. No, no. I, I don't have two toddlers. I have a toddler and an infant. <laughs> it's even worse. <laughs> so, um, actually, binge watching uh, a couple things. I did binge watch sports wise. Uh, again, you never. I've been watching old playoff games today. My son and I we were watching Game Three from the 2012 Stanley Cup. I'm sorry, uh, Game Three from the 2012 playoffs with the uh, Flyers, where uh, him, it was them against Pittsburgh. Uh, going back, I just can't believe how crazy you you want to see bad goaltending. You watch that series. That's just uh, unbelievably terrible how poorly Mark Andre Fleury played, and Ilya Brzezgalov didn't play much better. Um, anyway, I watched that. And then, uh, I also watched, um, uh, Showtime has a thing where they went behind the scenes for two seasons, uh, 2016 and 2017, uh, about the Stanley cup, the final four, uh, yep. was the 2016. I think it was the Blues, sharks and in East it was, um, um, uh, the lightning and the penguins. So I watched the behind the scenes on that. It's kind of what I thought, like, mentioned like really early season what the league should do uh the problem is is that i don't think they executed it well it was entertaining it was good it just it didn't dive deep enough for me it made it look the games look like a music video rather than telling a story like oh like hey look let's show one or two scenes and then show the score about what happened well get into the game like there's a lot of chirping that goes on there let's hear that let's see some more of the things that actually happened on the some of the vulgar things that people might actually enjoy to watch it actually happens yeah. on, on the ice so um that's the kind of thing that should be interesting to watch now without sports i've been binge watching some other things um my mind sometimes just kind of takes off and finds something and it seems really weird i don't mind the background noise my son is time for bed so he's a little cranky right now um <laughs> but uh anyway um so uh, I when I I don't know if you anybody has HBO, but I was I was searching through something other you know, documentaries and I saw the thing for autopsy. I'm like, oh my god, I forgot about all that. So I watched all of the autopsy shows from the '90s and early 2000s. What? <laughs> you got to get out of the '90s, man. No, I'm just saying. It's like <laughs> I remember like those those shows were so interesting. It's all about forensic pathology and like, like that kind of stuff. Like. I always found that stuff interesting. It's like yeah, I watched it, was- it. I'm like stuff was like creepy. Like I forgot. Like it was like I watched like Mindhunter. Like Mindhunter on yep. Netflix is one of the best shows I've ever seen. So that ties into like stuff like this. So it's like that's crazy how they do this kind of stuff. But yeah, actually, one day I they're only th- I think they're thirty to forty minute episodes. So I watched them and I cleared those out in like a a day, day and a half. Yep, because we have <laughs> nothing to do. There's no, literally no, nothing, nothing to at do. All. Nothing at all. And then I'm like. I'm YouTubing how to put up a, a, a fill in drywall and <laughs> different things and how to use yep. a saw these different things of, you know, things I'm trying to get projects done around the house. Saw. <laughs> yeah. Like how to like, how do I cut it the right way? Do we need a certain square? Should I buy the one with the laser or whatnot? Like, you know, all this little stuff. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Really. If I'm not binge watching hockey and really just it's stupid little things and, Honestly, I'm playing a lot of COD too. We, my buddies and I got into Warzone, and oh, uh, yeah. I was up till two o'clock in the morning last night playing Warzone. How many, how many wins you got? 
Oh, zero. We haven't won one yet, but oh. we got like we we've gotten in the top. Two. You've won four Warzone four times. Are you we've kidding won, me? We've my buddies and I. We've won. I've won. My first win was a random win with random random people. I have no idea who they were, but then my buddies started getting into it, just like yours. And uh, yeah, we we've collected four wins over the past week, two weeks, whatever wow. it may be. My one buddy has like seventeen. And it's crazy. I have 17 Warzone with it. So, you know, we, we have a strategy. We have we have a strategy. And it, it may sound silly, but Warzone, because what we do is that we get together and we usually, we as we're talking, we talk about a spot where we land and we all rendezvous. And yep. then really what we do is we camp out until the circle gets smaller. So what we do is that we'll pick up weapons, we'll stock up, we'll loot, we'll do all that stuff, and we'll hang in one spot. And let people come to us until the circle gets small, and then we go inside the circle, and then at the last like two minutes, all hell breaks loose because it's so damn small. <laughs> but at the same time, like we, we, I think the highest we placed was, um, I want to say it was definitely top ten. Uh, yep. We came fourth one time, but I know that um, per my personal best was twenty first, and oh, it's we, yeah, like in Seoul, yeah, and we also did um like tenth and 18th and we we're all like you we know all one of the tops like one of the last ones because our strategy worked so it was great it, warzone's fantastic warzone's an interesting concept what my tip for you the way it sounds like you you would benefit from this fa- uh strategy before we this will be the last point before we wrap up uh when you drop down look for the contracts for recon recon previews you gives you a preview of where the circle's gonna be okay so that's that's my yeah it's the little i'll i'll send you i'll send you a text of what the what they look like but yeah my god we've completely gone off the rails um this is this is quarantine (laughs) hockey radio what the hell else hockey radio like there's nothing to talk about because or there's always something to talk about it's just not hockey right now like we talked about hockey so we're gonna be debuting that flyers flashback in the coming weeks uh, I think everyone will enjoy what could have been in 97. I think what will really benefit is showing what went wrong and what could have gone right in our own opinions of where, who, what could have stepped up. I think 97 is pretty simple. If offense had stepped up, everything would have changed. If, if Lindros sure, yeah. uh, uh, from everyone from Lindros down, I think that would have been the game changer of that series. Not just maybe they would have, maybe they wouldn't have won, but I don't think they would. They definitely would not have gotten swept if that offense had just stepped up a little bit more. But keep an eye out for that. We'll post the Elite Eight if you have thoughts on that. Again, Carpool Lane, Costanza Doll, the doll of the curb, Palestine Chicken, the Face Painter, Invitations, Festivus, and Hamptons. That is our Elite Eight. My God, I can't believe we're doing this. But that's what we're doing in the quarantine life, Scott. That is where we're at. Um, Yeah, and I think it's – unfortunately, it's going to continue for – uh the near future but um yeah we're gonna have to we're gonna have to just buckle down everybody stay safe stay healthy uh wear a mask anytime you go out unfortunately at this point it's been a month i've had to go out i have to to go to like the lows to pick up supplies to fix things up around here because frankly it gives you something to do so uh yep yeah so that's pretty much it but everybody please stay 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 safe stay healthy hope you're I, I can't friggin talk uh hopefully everybody stays safe stays healthy your family stays safe and please remember when you're wearing masks and you're asked to social distance it's not for your sake it's for others sake everybody please understand that it's to make sure that everybody around you stays healthy not just you 
So give us a like on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all that. Orange and Back Check Podcast. For Scott Weinhart, I'm Bill Kornfeld. We'll talk to you next week about something in the world. How do I use a saw? <laughs> <laughs>